Top of the news this evening is speculation concerning the real facts behind the Department of Health announcement about a radioactive spill supposed to have occurred yesterday at the state nuclear plant. You will die only to live again in a younger body. Then you can tell me if the operation was a success. I could easily kill you now, but I'm determined to have your brain. You're listening to the Really Awful Movies Podcast, a celebration of genre cinema. Hi, my name is Chris, and along with Jeff, we talk about movies that aren't really awful at all. Horror, action, kung fu, musicals, post-apocalyptic, women in prison films, and much, much more. From our downtown Toronto headquarters, here's episode 269, Q, the Winged Serpent. I feel like there should be like an accent above the E, and it should be the Winged Serpent. Well, isn't it the Winged Serpent? I don't know. That's the way I pronounce it. (laughs) Okay. It sounds more wicked to be winged. Usually, I mean, now I'm going to put on my English teacher hat, but (laughs) when you have... A word that ends with ed, that's a adjective as opposed to the past tense of a verb. It's pronounced it. You know, like learn it or yeah. wing it. So this is the winged serpent, as far nice. as I'm concerned. However, where my confusion stems is not from the whatever you call after the title. You know, after the the colon. I don't know. There's a certain the deck is what we call it in journalism. Circles. There you go. Whatever. whatever. Yeah. I've always referred to this movie as Cue the Winged Serpent. You refer to it as Cue the Winged Serpent. Everybody that I know refers to this as Cue the Winged Serpent. And yet, earlier today, I figured I'd do a little last-minute research, and I went on IMDb, and this movie's listed as Cue. Nothing more. No Cue, a.k.a. the Winged Serpent. So where did the derivation of the Winged Serpent come from? I mean, obviously, Q is a winged serpent. Yeah, uh, yeah to a certain extent, although it's referred variously as, uh, as a dragon and whatever, a mythical beast with mm-hmm. Aztec Mexican origins. Now, of course, Q stands for Quetzalmexical or whatever. I, can't yeah. even, I'm not even, I didn't even bother. Quetzal, Quetzal, I don't know. My, I'm not up on my Aztec. I was uh, hoping you would write it down yeah. phonetically because I, I couldn't do it. Quetzal, Quetzalon, uh, I don't know. <laughs> it's, a, it's a rough go. <laughs> and, of course, the reason why we're doing Cue the Winged Serpent is sort of in honor of another one of our... Uh, Dearly departed. Yeah, unfortunately, the great Larry Cohen, who passed away recently, one of the one of the masters. I mean, this is a man who... He's just a towering figure within the genre. Uh, you know, besides the fact, you know, I mean, he directed 21 features. Many of them are films that we hold in high esteem i mean stuff like it's alive it's various sequels uh god told me to black caesar well i was gonna say before he got to horror he was he was he kind of worked in the box quotation genre bone hell up in harlem black caesar caesar excuse me and of course the stuff did i say the stuff he had the right stuff he had the right (laughs) stuff and he had he had michael moriarty and that's another thing michael moriarty is almost like the De Niro to Larry Cohen Scorsese. Uh-huh. They work together. I've used that analogy many times. I gotta come <laughs> no, up with no, a new that's, one. That's good. But uh, yeah, they work together in uh, in five projects. Uh, besides Q, of course, uh, Michael Moriarty, who is just a, I, I love the guy. I mean, the guy is he's one. Of the, I think he's one of the most underrated actors uh, out there. Uh, I agree. I think he was on Law and Order as well. He brought yep. like a, a he was a, fired from Law and Order. Really? Yep. Oh my, well, he brought a kind of a mean streets, kind of sad sack, low level criminality, you know, vibe to this role here. And he really carries the film mm-hmm. for a movie that's about a winged serpent. I mean, it's all, it all 
you know, rests on his capable shoulders. Right. I thought he was terrific. And yeah, so I mean, in addition to Q, I mean, he was in the stuff, of course, and he was in not It's Alive, not It Lives Again, which was mm. a sequel. It's Alive. He was in It's Alive Three. He was in Return to Salem's Lot, which was also directed by Mr. Cohen, and also an episode of Masters of Horror, which. Uh, Larry Cohen wrote and directed. So yeah, I mean, Larry Cohen, 21 directorial credits, 20 credits as a producer, 87 writing credits. We talked about Maniac Cop in the past. I, I really, I don't think I've seen anything by Larry Cohen that I did not like. You know, I can't think of that either. And he was also the subject of the wonderfully titled King Cohen, which really sums it all up right there. I mean, yeah, he just brings a certain energy and mystique to every he, he doesn't do a bad movie i mean yeah. i've yet to see one so i've only maybe seen maybe six or seven of his 20 but and the thing i really like about larry cohen as well is that he's a maverick he did things his own way most of the time his films were made independently he he i don't, I, I look at him as like there's a, almost like this like people always talk about the 70s and stuff and you know the, the easy rider raging bull school and whatever but they're in the late 70s early 80s in new york city there was this sort of like burgeoning horror underground you know like with i'm thinking like well the basket cases yeah like yeah, you know yeah. you have your frank henlotter yeah. you know you have your uh, roy frumkis with street trash you have even like gregory lamberson with slime city like any Man. movie that takes place in the new york in new york city in the late 70s early 80s like this is my favorite time period for new york city at least cinematically. <laughs> I'm not going to say, like, I want to live there back then because <laughs> yeah, it was exactly. still, it was, you know, it was still the big apple rotten to its core. Mm. But anytime you have a movie that's set in New York City in this time period, I am in. And so we got New York City. We got Michael Moriarty. We got Larry Cohen. We got David Carradine. We got Richard <laughs> Roundtree. Yeah. And we have was basically a modern day at the time updating of a 50s creature feature so how can you go wrong no you can't i was just thinking well you can because you you pronounce it wrong you can i guess (laughs) i didn't want to be disparaging but i think cohen's uh bailiwick is to take something that's on the surface dumb and make it smart Mm -hmm. so it's almost like a a trojan horse like a, a vehicle so you have this what is ostensibly a ridiculous movie that is for all intents and purposes, yeah, a creature feature, but it is surrounded with or wrapped up in whip-smart, top-drawer dialogue, and ca- it's character-driven, and as they maybe should be, but they often aren't. It's Alive is the same way. Oh, a killer baby. You think of Chucky. Mm-hmm, oh, it's mm-hmm. a killer doll. As sequels went on, it became less and less interesting. It's Alive is a way more interesting conceit than a killer doll. It actually horror from within it's Cronenbergian like his movies always have that kind of feel mm-hmm. and this one was just the same and you're right again like the creature is I'm not going to say inconsequential obviously like with the, <laughs> this is the titular creature mm-hmm. but it is character driven I mean a couple weeks ago we po- we podcasted Pack the Giant Leeches <laughs> yeah I mean the characters in those movies they, they're so interchangeable yeah, exactly. they're so disposable it's all about <laughs> the creature whereas in this movie yeah you got the creature and it's a pretty cool creature. It really is. And the way it was rendered is amazing. I think we're going to talk more about that as we continue uh, discussing it. But we're not so much invested in the creature as we are in the characters, in Jimmy Quinn. And what better like criminal lowlife name is there in the pantheon of names? 
full disclosure, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to be a father soon, and uh, I've been coming up with different names, that, <laughs> and I was thinking, Jimmy, like, is there ever, like, been a more sleazy name like if you go to a pool <laughs> hall and there's a guy named jimmy who's gonna like like take 50 bucks out of your pocket right and he's gonna hustle you jimmy is a guy down on his luck jimmy is a guy who's a perma grifter he's just on the graft on the take like jimmy is there something about it it's our so apologies perfect. to any listener right now whose <laughs> name might be jimmy <laughs> <laughs> and he he just plays this one to the hilt and he's we're introduced to michael moriarty as a a driver in a he, he's a bank robber but he's, he's the a, driver so he's, he's a criminal associate he's, he's a, a small-time crook he's a yeah. bit of a low life he's somebody that really doesn't have uh, a fixed address or any sort of uh, legitimate source of income and he, Place he takes to hang cr- one's head i forget what song that's from <laughs> he, he takes uh tom waits wherever i hang my no, the head weight, uh, the band yeah and no place to hang my head oh I'm, yeah okay <laughs> either way he's yeah no fixed address that's that's the colloquialism yeah and he's the one who really of all people gets wind of this creature and tries to tell a disbelieving authority that this is what they're dealing with as people start to go missing and people are being plucked out of the street by this winged beast. Mm-hmm. And which is funny because obviously his word is not his bond because he's just a criminal lowlife and NYPD does not take him seriously. First scene, we see a window washer plucked off the window and decapitated. What an amazing scene. Like I, I was, I have a little bit of fear of heights. Live, We both live in high rises. That mm-hmm. really got to me. And you were saying earlier about the maverick 80s New York influence. I felt that a lot of this movie was permit-free, that they were just taking cameras and sticking them willy-nilly because I thought, where did they get, like, most of the scenes, I felt like they were not, they, they was, it had a very uh, guerrilla-style approach to the filmmaking. I don't know if oh, you got sure. that. Well, yeah. yeah, and in fact, uh, one of the things that I did learn from my very quick cursory uh, research on IMDb is that the origin of this particular movie is... Larry Cohen uh, wrote the script and I guess was supposed to work on set for uh, a movie called I, the Jury. Now, I I think I recall this movie as one starring Don Johnson. But whatever (laughs) happened... Don Johnson. I mean, he's. I don't know. It's lately, like Twelve Angry Men for morons. Or like, what is this? I, I, like, what, what kind of movie would this be? I don't know. Well, I mean, there's, there's a reason why we're doing a podcast on Cue the Winged Serpent and not I the Jury because what happened was Cohen uh, was in New York City. He was all set to work on I the Jury, and for whatever reason, I didn't get this. He got fired, and then he said, "You know what? I'm here in New York. I'm set up. I'm going to make a movie. I'm not going to let this go to waste." And Another bit of inspiration was a Chrysler building. When Larry Cohen saw the Chrysler building, he thought, see, all geniuses, they get that light bulb moment, right? (laughs) And his light bulb moment was the top of that Chrysler building. That would be an amazing place for a gigantic bird's nest. (laughs) Hence our movie. Wow. So, yeah, when the movie begins, we have... um, a lady working in her office, and there is a window washer, and she expresses a little bit of um, you know, a little displeasure because apparently this window washer has been coming by a few times. He's a bit of a pervy window yeah. washer, and as I would be as well. I mean, why not? <laughs> Maybe not. I don't know. I mean, lately, <laughs> oh come on! Your whole entire business involves peering into people's windows. They're the most Hitchcockian job ever. Well, they're they're doing the window washing in my building right now. They're yeah. advising us to keep the blinds drawn. So. <laughs> But anyhow, uh, forgetting about the pervy window washer, all of a sudden, 
this gigantic, uh, almost prehistoric monster swoops down and knocks the head clean off. Yeah. Amazing. Right into the streets of New York City. Problem is that they found the window washer without a head, but they couldn't <laughs> find the head. And we've got two policemen on the job, one being Shepard, that played by the wonderful yeah. David Carradine. Uh. I'm sorry, I'm holding in a sneeze. It's about to come out. I have a bit of a cold. I'm trying to keep it in. There's nothing worse than holding in a sneeze mm. other than holding in a fart, perhaps. <laughs> well, I'm glad you're doing both. Uh, yeah, he's just a terrific character on the hunt. And again, a typical hard-nosed, hard-bitten New York City cop and uh, trying to figure out the, how the, all the moving parts fit together. Right. And again, you're finding body parts and all this stuff. And then but, you're, you're getting these strange... Uh, witness testimonies that really cannot be believed. But what's you know? But he's working with another officer of the law. This being Sergeant Powell, played by Shaft himself, Richard Roundtree, and they attribute the loss of the head to maybe some broken glass or something. And yet there's no glass, <laughs> and the head's missing. And there's an incredible line where um, Roundtree says to Carradine. Uh, Where's his head? He goes, I don't know. Maybe his head just got loose and fell off. What do you want from me? <laughs> love it. Love it. I love it. And there's a bit of an analog to the uh, Italian cannibal movies, which frequently would start in New York City. And their leads uh, point them to so-called experts in the field because at this point they're just at a loss. And, and cops usually, when they have nowhere else to turn, they either go to some highfalutin expert or maybe to a psychic and at this point he approaches I guess someone from the local university and again the, the time-honored profession of the anthropologist and this guy gives a wonderful rundown and and you'd think I'd be able to you know say the Aztec God's name properly after all this but it's Quetzal you know Nahama Pita Petalon or something I don't know what it <laughs> that is a, that's a Pooh's last name from the, it's a, and he, he a gives portmanteau this, of uh, the beginning yeah. of Aztec and uh, Simpsonese but anyway yeah, Hindu Aztec and uh, and Shepard the Carradine's character is suitably dismissive as is often the case when in these procedural type things where you hear a bunch of what sounds like mumbo jumbo and then you say oh yeah whatever whatever professor but then he finally is convinced that he should do some homework and he ta actually takes some books from the professor's office mm -hmm. for reading at home and that's when they start to suss out how there's a there's a proper mo behind this and it all involves what the movie quotes as potential ritualistic murder sacrifices in 1982 and this is what it leads to and this is where the direction that investigators are pointed in, mm -hmm. with the help of, of course, scumbag Jimmy. Right. So we were talking about uh, Jimmy. So he's, you know, as I said before, a small-time crook, and he's discussing being a wheelman for a robbery <laughs> at a jewelry store. Oh, However, you gotta love it. He says, you know, I'm just going to drive the car. I'm not going in. I, I don't want a gun. I'm just a driver. Yeah. They get there. He's given a revolver. He's told to go in. Shit goes sideways. She walks out <laughs> with a briefcase of jewels. And good old Sasak Michael oh. Moriarty just automatically gets hit by a taxi. Yeah, loses all the loot. Oh, man. So, know, like Biggie Small saying, you know, give me the loot, give me the loot. Well, he, he just lost the loot on the middle of freaking Canal Street in Chinatown in the, the hustle and bustle near Soho. Just couldn't find the loot. And what of course he's got so his he's, associates after him right so where's the fucking loot did you take it for yourself which is like that classic mm -hmm. you know film noir staple like 
And so as he's trying to escape, uh, not just the law, but as well as his, these uh, mafioso associates, I'm assuming they're mafia, <laughs> yeah. but whatever. That's probably because they were telling him. Yeah, I don't, know. Oh, oh. <laughs> okay. don't cast aspersions, but no, you're right. You're right, you're right. <laughs> he, runs up the, he runs up the Chrysler building, <laughs> and that's where he finds this gigantic nest that obviously is not meant for a garden variety pigeon. I mean, oh. it, and not only that, but the nest is occupied. There's this incredible skeleton that you could tell was nibbled and gnawed on and the skeleton it's a, it was a sunbather that was picked off a new sunbather that was <laughs> yeah, picked off a roof kind. earlier yeah. <laughs> and he takes off the bracelet because again he's got no shame and yeah these killings continue and as these killings continue you have construction workers that are the victim of this uh, of this serpent you have an incredible scene because you know he's killing from above right so this is death from above yeah and yeah blood is like raining down upon the people you know like it almost sounds like a slayer record raining blood you know down and the dentist is in new york oh, city yeah. and the city is going into into chaos like what's going on here and of course a lot of the exposition that we're getting is your favorite exposition newspaper headline the newspaper headline <laughs> yeah. however to larry cohen's credit he's a much smarter filmmaker than uh, than most it's not the spinning newspaper headline <laughs> it's just a newspaper headline so, so well, yeah, I was going to say, speaking of headlines, when I, I was preparing for this movie, uh, something came across, you know, my, uh, yeah, I think it was Gmail or God knows what. You know, when you log off your email, you get all these news stories they wouldn't have otherwise seen. And there was a story in Arizona about a puppy that got picked up by an owl mm -hmm. and dropped in a, in a golf course and I thought this is so fucked up like this poor puppy gets set upon by this winged beast and dropped winged. off some winged <laughs> <laughs> it's learn it so peppy <laughs> learn it or oh, sorry <laughs> there's something so bizarre and freaky about uh, like winged predators like I, I remember seeing like you know poking around YouTube this eagle that went after a, a, a wolf and it was like a, and the wolf was fighting back, and I thought, there's something coming from above. And it's just so terrifying, and I, I had to laugh when the the uh, nude sunbather was picked off, and it just, yeah, the stop motion squawking creature coming in, and just Larry Cohen is doing so much with a creature that's very sparsely used. Uh, almost like Bruce from Jaws, like it, it, it in to to his credit, but like, it just it, it's but so a, effectively. It, it's a testament to the ingenuity of King Cohen because much of the impression we get of this predator, this 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 Aztec dragon, beast, yeah, whatever, this dragon, yeah. whatever you want to call it, is amazing aerial shots of Midtown Manhattan, yeah. uh, just with the camera swinging around oh, and around and around, <laughs> which is meant to replicate yeah. the flight pattern of the bird. In addition, we see shadow. And then we, you know, the shadow of the serpent up against the building. And when we do see the creature, it's either a gigantic model or it's stop motion. And I love stop motion. I have such a soft spot in my heart for stop motion. Anything, let's say, done by Ray Harryhausen, I mm -hmm. love. Uh, I did get a bit of a... Bit Jason, of a, the Argonauts, kind of that vibe. You got it. I got a bit of a Harryhausen vibe from this. Mm. Uh, I'm even thinking Belial and Basket Case. When <laughs> oh, he yeah. moved, he was running a stop motion. And that's how you do it. You don't need tens or hundreds of millions of dollars in computer graphics. You need practical effects, ingenuity, and 
heart and love and the audience will buy it and the audience bought this so is this the point in the discussion where we talk about what we've learned because i've learned quite a bit did you really uh indeed there's so many little fun elements to this film as you mentioned midtown manhattan i got lost on canal street which is a wonderful place to get like uh discount knockoff big brand goods uh, you know like if you want a gucci bag that's like maybe you know gucci spelled g-u-h-y or something but yeah i thought that was just terrific i remember that intersection actually that they focused on uh the jewelry store that they ended up robbing where jimmy is becomes i guess a gunman instead of just the the getaway man it's called neil diamonds and it's like whoa I didn't even that is that. so crazy that's, that's like, is that yeah. like that's got to be some kind of copyright infringement or something but i thought this is so hilarious and fantastic and uh yeah again the chrysler building is such an iconic piece of art deco shining like glorious building and the fact the fact that they spend a large portion of this movie going up into the needle which gave me vertigo again like i, I couldn't take it and there's all these shots looking you out have the window you should have popped a dramamere too yeah, I was thinking. This movie. yeah. <laughs> and the the lengths to which cohen goes to have jimmy lure his antagonist to that place which is also the place where this bird is setting up its nest i thought there was just so many interesting oh, that was little bits because like earlier on in the film as we said you know because of uh jimmy absconding with these jewels and with these goombas going after him <laughs> and so jimmy being the little scumbag that he is figures okay well how am i going to uh get rid of this pesky uh they're after me problem and he lures these two uh <laughs> two new jersey goomba stereotypes up to the top of the, the tower top of the building <laughs> and q then swoops down eats both of them and the glee the more michael moriarty had <laughs> it was almost like childlike and in fact she's like yes they're eating my enemies i love it yeah just well like, it, it just it goes to show it might have been the first time in his life anything was any anything was really going right for him mm -hmm. because he is really a total mess and there's also a little subplot that has him shacking up with this woman who i don't know maybe she's attracted to the bad boy although he doesn't strike me as a particularly tough one but she's got this incredibly elaborate spacious beautiful apartment we always he's say crashing every, there like, every my time we see a movie set in new york city <laughs> we're always incredulous at how they can afford this property well, it's got to be rent controlled because uh, yeah. someone did an article uh, about like what the friends apartment would actually cost and they compared it to dr fraser crane's uh, palatial seattle. penthouse mm -hmm. in, in, in seattle, seattle. Yep. and it's like how did these people afford this and it, it sort of maybe these were different times he, he was you know lucky to be the beneficiary of her goodwill because he was crashing there you know up to a point up until the point where he's obviously wanted by police and mm -hmm. she turfs him but i thought that was a little like their interplay was so fun as well and speaking of interplay i mean you mentioned about the fact that like you know this may be the first time in uh, jimmy quinn's life when things are going right and that's definitely played up because this is a guy that's been shit on over and over and over again. He's always a little guy. He's always a small guy. In fact, um, I'm, maybe the chronology is getting a little mixed up in my head, but when we first meet him, is that when he's auditioning at the piano bar? Oh, yeah. Fantastic. Well, I mean, Michael Moriarty, I mean... Because this is basically what him, I learned, yeah. We're going to big him up because he's... Anytime there's any tangentially related Canadian content, we're going to big it up. He's Canadian, I believe, or at least holds dual citizenship, and he's a... 
uh, a musician in his own right, and he supplements. Oh, Michael Moriarty. Michael Moriarty. Yeah, Yeah, and uh, they use his abilities to great effect because he's trying to secure extra work. Uh, through his uh, through a connect at a, this local bar, and he tinkles the ivories, and he do, he I don't know to whom this would appeal. Like he's playing this sort of weird free jazz. Like, it's this weird sort yeah, of so atonal, scat, yeah. atonal, etc. <laughs> oh, more like he's putting the scat and scatological. I thought it was really shit, but yeah, and that's how he wow. connects with yeah Shepard, the detective, and who's looking at him. He's in the same bar going. This, you know, they, they connect and Shepard says, oh, I really dig your talents, man, or something. What I was, what I learned, and yeah. uh, basically, and I'll <laughs> let you continue, is that uh, Quinn's bar piano playing, as terrible as it was, was miles, miles better, miles better than Ryan Gosling in La La Land. Still shit, but oh, much better. Because oh when, when we're looking at, like, white guys, you know, trying to be the savior <laughs> of jazz, I would take Michael Moriarty over Ryan Gosling any day oh, of the week. Oh, God. Well, any day of the week. There's certainly no Glenn Gould or, like, Oscar Peterson to this guy's noodling. But <laughs> you, you gotta, I got to say, like, proficient. He's uh, technically proficient, although he probably shouldn't sing along with it at the same time. And, like, of all places, this, like, shitty dive bar, probably in the East Village... What what audience would this appeal to? Like I could see maybe like you stick maybe like a chanteuse on top of a piano and like some shitty bar like on singles night, then that could really work out. But like in this now you're describing the fabulous Baker boys. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, you know, this... Well, again, like to what audience would this appeal? Like this is. Uh, so you're saying he needs Michelle Pfeiffer riding on top of the piano while uh, and Jeff There's Bridges always... sticking out in the ivories. <laughs> There's always room for a chanteuse draped on top of a piano. There's always room for hearing you say the word chanteuse. I'm just getting a kick out of it. So what else did you learn? Oh, well, I mean, uh, Jimmy's an enterprising guy. And in exchange for his freedom, because, you know, he eventually does get busted. And that's a spoiler here because he's, you know, implicated as part of this jewelry heist ring. He tries to uh, exchange his freedom for information regarding this uh, this winged creature and there's a wonderful scene in a board you don't room. have to over enunciate no. it for me okay <laughs> say <laughs> there's a great scene in a boardroom where I think it's maybe this uh, the mayor the, the mayor or maybe the deputy mayor or something mm-hmm. where he says listen I've got uh, information and is par for the course for a procedural he has inside information that the cops did not disclose publicly so therefore that lends some credibility to him because he knows what has happened with some of these bodies that he's found. That's what I was trying to allude to earlier, is the fact that this is a guy that his whole life he's been shit on, he's been powerless, he's been a nothing, he's been a nobody. Finally, he's got the upper hand, and he's going to flex it, he's going to use it, and he makes these demands that are just... Oh, like, you yeah. know, they always say like you know in the stratosphere aim for the stratosphere yeah. and if you you know you end up hitting the star I don't know what the cliche is yeah. right but these demands were crazy like full amnesty 20 million dollars <laughs> a helicopter you name well, it well well I mean class action lawsuits when you put in a dollar amount that's the judge who's responsible for reducing it so it's like you spilled McDonald's coffee on your lap 800 million dollars judge decides you know we're going to realistically give you like 80,000 for maybe some bomb to put on By your the way, that or woman deserve that money <laughs> no i'm serious there was a documentary see we just did you see the documentary no that yeah. coffee was beyond scalding that was like a 180 degree really? coffee and yeah we hear all oh, women sues mcdonald's because she spilled hot coffee but if you actually watch the documentary she suffered it was an old an elderly lady uh-huh. maybe in her late 70s early 80s she suffered grievous bodily, bodily injury mm. because of the fact that this coffee was so 
above and beyond what is considered normal for human consumption. Uh-huh. No. So yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's become a, a, a stock joke, a stock cliche. You know, well, so thank McDonald's. you for saying so. No, no, but yeah. yeah, no. I mean, after watching this documentary, I, I cannot recall the title at the moment. I remember seeing it on Netflix maybe five years ago, but I totally changed my tune. She deserved every penny of that uh, civil settlement. Well, what does this movie deserve in terms of star rating? Well, as far as I'm concerned, I enjoyed every second of this movie. Whether it's Michael Moriarty's sort of sweaty, nebbishy <laughs> shenanigans, you know, trying to like weasel his way out of this predicament or that predicament, whether it was the procedural of Shepard or Powell, whether it was the numerous incredible uh plucking up of, uh, off of, uh, you know, uh, rooftop um, yeah. sunbathing spots, what These have you. These people have no friends in high places, to quote Garth Brooks. Right. <laughs> all, all the kills, all the, all the flay corpses oh, that were found, <laughs> and all, all the Aztec mumbo-jumbo. There, there, there's this film... You know, never underestimate the power of a flayed corpse. And never and, underestimate the power of an anthropologist in a major new, uh, university. Yeah, they no, they, they always true. know what this, they always, <laughs> always have the on right the first thing. go. They know. Yeah. yeah, and this is pre-internet, so you can't you know, research someone's particular uh, interests. You just go in and you hope that the anthropologist du jour, the the guy who speaks for the entire university. Is that's eminently these, familiar with that's what why you're these at. anthropologists get tenure because yeah. somebody <laughs> has to <laughs> explain these crazy phenomena yeah, that are well, this occurring. Guy's so. I mean, yeah, the Margaret Mead of the uh, anthropology set can always be found in cannibal movies, can always be found here. I love the setting, I love the ingenuity, I love the camera work, I love the claymation, <laughs> I love almost everything about this movie. To the point that I'm not going to give it five stars because Ooh. that's that's reserved for you know like the classics of yeah. the classics. But I'm going to give this one four and a half stars Whoa. wholeheartedly. Now, with your ingenuity, is that anything like an ingenue or like are you? <laughs> sorry? Uh, I, I was going to also say yeah, I'm going to give this four star, and I was going to also throw in maybe Driller Killer as another movie that just you know gets into the down and dirty of a St. Mark's place and what would have been happening when the you know, all these acts were like springing forth in this creative maelstrom that was taking place in New York City at the time. So it's amazing because as I was going through those films, I was talking, I was about to say Thriller Killer. Hmm. I did get that vibe as well. So, yeah. Man, this is the highest combined rating we've granted, a, bestowed on a film for, I would say, months. Like months, yeah. I thought you were gonna say ever, and I'm like, well, no, not ever. But, but yeah. we 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 keep this rating close, near and near and dear to our hearts. I mean, there are certain really. Yeah, top of the food chain, top drawer movies that that you're like top. Let's say slasher is gonna be. I'm gonna throw in Maniac is my top slasher, but even that, I don't know even know if I would give that a five star. Maybe there is no five star movie, and that would be the best horror movie ever. And we'll reserve that for whenever that's created and and you know and directed. But I'm gonna give this yeah a sol- if not a four and a quarter. I'm like I'm I'm so enthused by this, and it, it's too bad that we lost Larry Cohen, but at least he was able to contribute so much in a relatively long lifespan. I mean, mm-hmm. again, all his movies are so so much fun, and he had such a cultural impact beyond what people perceive as these dumb schlocky movies. He added a lot he of smarts to it. He always elevated all the material. Like you said before, he would take concepts that just on paper sounded as dumb as can be and somehow made it Hey, maybe we're kindred spirits as well because we have a dumb book that's smart where you have weird weapons in horror movie 
movies, but we turn that into a reference book that we feel stands the test of time, if we can be so bold and immodest, if we will. I mean, we it's a dumb concept, but it's a great resource you for came people. up with the concept so oh well thanks <laughs> i think it's a cool concept yeah, anyway. no i think it's cool too but again like people it belies the sophistication they're in i think and uh i mean what that's probably a good way to sign off on his movies because they all did that and oh. i mean and black just... caesar had a real you know not to get enough tangent but had a real dignity to it that maybe some of the other black exploitations didn't had a, an amazing soundtrack by james brown one of the best i would say ever in the genre with this one of my favorites called Down and Out in New York City one of the most incredible tracks so you didn't ever. love uh, Let's Fall Apart Together tonight in this movie <laughs> I did love that too Hell Up in Harlem is incredible all his movies are phenomenal like when when the baby pops out in It's Alive I was like man this is so cool the posters off the charts dialogue solid the, the guy just what can you say well, rest well, in peace you know maker of this Cracker Jack project rest in peace and Thank you for giving us such an incredible body of work. And for those that are listening who may not have seen Cue the Winged Serpent, you owe it to yourself to do so. And you owe it to yourself to delve deeper and deeper into the world of Larry Cohen because it's just a treasure trove. I personally have not seen the documentary King Cohen, but I'm dying to see it. I'm not either. Nope, but that's definitely on my radar. Mr. Cohen, I thank you. Thanks for the memories, and we hope we're on your radar with new episodes of the podcast. So we'll continue to bring you fun genre and horror films every Friday for your listening pleasure, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care. Thank mm-hmm. you.